Abraham, originally Abraham or Avram, is commonly known as the patriarch to the what are known as the world's Abrahamic religions. It's very common to find material about Abraham as in terms of his life and as a historical figure. However, it's not so common to come across material that discusses Abraham as a spiritual quality and his life and events surrounding his birth, his infancy, his uh, life as an adult, uh, as spiritual processes, which are spiritual processes that take place within each and every person. And that Abraham and the birth of Abraham and his development are a spiritual desire, its birth and its development that takes place within the person, within you, within me, within society, within humanity. And that that's a process that we can become aware of and work with and develop at every single moment. The latter, however, is how the wisdom of Kabbalah discusses Abraham and his life. It looks at all the Torah stories, everything taking place as this unfolding process and that we can enter into that process, unravel it, feel it taking place within us. And the more we learn about it, the more we draw forces that allow us to experience that process at every moment of our lives. So that specifically is how we're going to get into. Uh, now we're just going to look at the birth and infancy of Abraham as the birth and you could say infancy or the initial stages of development of this spiritual desire that takes place in each and every person. That's what we're going to get into today. This is Kabbalah Explained Simply. My name is Marcus and we'll get into it right after this. All right, so as I mentioned, we're looking into Abraham as a spiritual quality, a spiritual desire. And this is the perspective of the wisdom of Kabbalah. Just a little bit of a background on that. We do some sessions like this on Bible stories, on stories of the Torah, the Pentateuch, where they all describe names, people, places, and events taking place in these stories with a language called the language of branches, which means that the branches, uh, meaning that the words used to describe all these stories are a branch level or a consequential level of deeper spiritual processes, causes, roots uh, taking place in the spiritual reality. And that's uh, what they invite us to uh, understand through this language. Back when these texts were written and when they were interpreted, we're going to actually be reading today from not from the written Torah, but from what's called the oral Torah, the Midrash, which are early interpretations of the Torah uh, by Kabbalists. And they get more into detail about the life and the surrounding events of all kinds of figures, uh, especially Abraham. So we're going to look into that today. Uh, but just it's very important to understand. We, we go into more depth about this topic uh, in our courses at CABU, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more ab about at the end and in other sessions that we've done on these Bible stories or stories of the Torah uh, that that everything that is being discussed, we can look at it from the perspective of the language of branches, that everything is discussing internal spiritual processes uh, that are taking place within us. So that's how we're going to get into it. And without further ado, let's start getting into some reading of these Midrash texts. So now we're before we get into it, uh, we're in a period which is before Abraham's birth. And there's a King Nimrod, where like in any classic kind of story, there's this king uh, who's portrayed as an evil king who has lots of wealth, lots of power. And, you know, he has his enemies, etc, etc. That's what we're going to look into where we're, where we're starting this uh, story. The strength and cunningness of King Nimrod became proverbial. Everyone knew that his arm aimed at a deer's heart never missed its target. Woe was he who dared to question that Nimrod was a self-made god, for an executioner always stood by the side of his throne. Let's get into what this little piece is talking about. Firstly, Nimrod comes from the word uh, Mered in Hebrew, which means rebellion. Uh, it means that he, he represents egoism, the human egoistic force. What's egoism? Uh, it's also represented by the words a self-made God that the ego wants to it, it's literally described as the desire to enjoy or the desire to receive pleasure for personal benefit alone 
However, specifically egoism discusses what's beyond life's mere essentials, uh, which are desires for food, sex, family, things that are here to preserve the form and uh, the species, uh, the human species, you know, from one generation to the next, and, and which uh, any individual has those desires. King Nimrod represents desires which are those that want to overrule and overpower society in various ways. You could say that they're the most excessive desires for wealth, for power, for honor, for fame. The, this very, it, it describes a very developed, highly developed egoistic point in our development, which we can even see today if we're trying to look at this story, not just as a story that played out back then, but as a process that we can relate to our lives today. So in our lives today, we also can say that we, the ego you know, desires to receive have developed over history from small desires just for food, sex, family, to bigger desires for money, wealth, honor, respect, fame, control and knowledge. And we're in a period where these desires for, for wealth, power and honor, they're very highly respected. That there's this King Nimrod playing out in each and every person that with, together with this environment, this society surrounding us that values these desires for wealth, honor, respect, money, uh, power and uh, control, that all these desires, this rampantness of all these desires is a setting for a new development to take place. We're already just talking about a setting for some kind of new development. And that's what we're going to get into with the birth of Abraham soon. Uh, the throne represents power in that story. Yeah? And that there's an executioner by the throne means that the ego has this intolerance to anything threatening our egoistic stance in the world. Yeah, so when we have very highly developed egos, so we can see that in the world today, just look at how it turns out when you have different, uh, for example, political, social division, where you know, each one takes a certain side and, and you know, puts the stick down saying, you know, this is right, and I'm willing, willing to stand up and, and, and fight for what I think is right, whereas the other side is also you know, putting down their stick and saying, you know, we're, we're the only ones who are right and they're wrong, and, and uh, you know, we go to war like this. Uh, and we go and get into all kinds of other divisions. Uh, in general, we see that there's this idea that if something threatens my egoistic position in the world, uh, we're willing to eliminate it. We're willing to remove it. We, we don't want it to exist. We, we want to, uh, if, if we can't kill it off, so, you know, we'll, we'll denounce it. We'll try to make it small in everyone's eyes. We'll try to make it a worldview that's disrespected and disregarded etc etc this is a sign of a very highly developed ego and a, a point in our lives where uh where we also see ourselves you know with this very stubborn stance on our ego to protect our egoistic stance in the world it's something that also causes a lot of pain a lot of misery uh because it as you can see it creates lots of conflict you know each person having a different opinion standing by that opinion. So there's going to always be clashes, conflicts, uh, stress, pressures, and together with this highly developed ego in the world today. So we also see that we live in a period where uh, there's also more depression, more stress, more anxiety, uh, more suicide rates, drug abuse than ever before, because we all want to stand and, and hold our egoistic position in the world very firmly, very strongly. Uh, but there's something behind that that causes all kinds of clashes. You know, we don't get our, uh, it, it stops us from getting along well with all kinds of people. It, it stops a positive connection among society to take place, which is ultimately what brings the most happiness, the most blossoming, the most uh, flourishing uh, fruits uh, to the world. So that's this setting that we are in at this point. And then it continues, one day Nimrod's astrologers approached the throne reverently and prostrated before the king. Oh, great Lord, they proclaimed, we come with news of great peril which threatens your rule. The stars foresee that a boy will, sh will soon be born in your kingdom who shall deny your divinity and shall defeat you. Yeah, so what's going on here? We've got... Nimrod's astrologers, who are these people? 
so this is describing, if we're looking at it again from the inner spiritual process that's taking place. So Nimrod's astrologers is this fear, that a fear that comes within our egoistic stance of the world, yeah, because our ego wants to hold its position and, and say that, you know, my wealth, my power, everything that's under my rule in the world, my position in the world, that, that is the most precious thing. So if there's something new that comes about that can threaten that, so we have a fear towards that. So this is what Nimrod's astrologers represent, uh, this fear of, of shaking or shattering our egoistic foundations. And it also describes this intermediary state between Nimrod and Abraham, because if we see in that excerpt, it says that uh, Nimrod's astrologers approach the throne reverently and prostrated before the king, that they, they foresee this new state coming. A boy will soon be born in your kingdom. What does this mean? That is the next degree or you could say our next degree. It's this understanding, this awareness that Nimrod's rule, meaning the egoistic rule over us, our egos determining what we think, what we want at every single moment, that each and every one of our thoughts, desires, and actions is always aimed in this direction of what will give me the most pleasure. And specifically egoism is receiving that pleasure at the expense of others. You know, what's wealth, what's respect, it's that others will respect me. Wealth is that you know, I will move that money that exists in others over into my territory. You know, and uh, control, it's also control over others, power over others. It's always in relation to others. And there's this oppression of others, this, this use and uh, you could say exploitation of others involved in that form of egoistic rule, that the big egoistic desire that King Nimrod represents. So that brings us nothing but misery. This is the this is the understanding and the awareness that a boy will soon be born in your kingdom. Uh, that uh, the next state from this position is one that the ego perceives as being very threatening, but at the same time, it's one that is this new understanding, this new awareness. It's this resistance to that egoistic rule. So we already talked about our Nimrod, uh, these ag aggressive egoistic desires for wealth, respect, and power. And the next degree is this understanding, this un awareness of the ego's own dependence, vulnerability, and fragility. Uh, in the wisdom of Kabbalah, we call it a process of recognition of evil, that we recognize, that we become aware of the egoistic quality within us, this desire that wishes to exploit others for personal benefit, as an evil quality that why is it evil because ultimately even though it's always working to bring myself pleasure at every single moment to make myself enjoy to make myself feel fulfilled and you know to move things into my territory wealth power everything overruling others uh it ultimately brings about misery on a on a mass scale that it brings about conflict it doesn't bring about a positive connection with other people it brings about a negative connection with other people which blocks true happiness and blocks uh, a state where we can truly become fulfilled and with pleasure which we'll talk about soon but that's this understanding that develops that when our ego is so soaring high and we're in a position where we see that everything around us in society and humanity is operating by this calculation of each one trying to just please themselves at the expense of others. So that eventually leads us to a point which is called the point of recognition of evil. And that's the next state that comes about. And that's what Nimrod's astrologers tell Nimrod. And, and it's this fear that the ego has towards that state because, you know, the ego, how much do we put how much efforts do we put into developing our wealth in the world developing our power and developing uh you know and, and trying and, and how all of our concepts in our lives that we educate ourselves with throughout you know, our school years our university years all these concepts are based on a foundation for example values such as freedom the concept of freedom what's freedom in a you could say a healthy materialistic competitive society freedom is this idea that if i have more wealth you know, more respect, et cetera, et cetera, then I'm freer, then I'm a freer person because with that additional, for example, wealth, so I can you know, buy myself a bigger house. I can, it, it, it's a concept of freedom where I can literally detach myself from others more and feel freer in that detachment. 
instead of realizing a, a different kind of concept of freedom, which is in a positive connection with others, which we'll, we'll get to soon. So let's look a bit further. So yeah, you see this here, the egoistic concept of freedom in such a sense is limited. Uh, that's what this new understanding, this recognition of evil eventually brings us to see that all these values that we have based on that egoistic foundation, they're, they're all flawed because that egoistic foundation to our lives is ultimately flawed. This idea of, of wanting at the expense of others, wanting to separate from others. And the desire develops for a new concept of freedom, a freedom from the egoistic rule over ourselves. That's ultimately what this next degree uh, is coming to tell us, that there's a, there's a different existence that we could be living, a different kind of life altogether, which is on one hand threatening to the ego and its position in the world, because it... Uh, the, the ego and all of its concepts of you know overpowering others in order to make itself wealthy, powerful, etc., etc. So that that is all undermined by this new desire, this new state, this next degree uh, that is coming to us, and that's what that excerpt talks about. That these astrologers of Nimrod come to warn about this next state that's coming. Nimrod turned to his ministers. What protective measures measures do you suggest? The answer came quickly. Issue a decree to have all newborn boys put to death. A wonderful suggestion. Call a meeting of architects. I shall issue an order to construct special houses that will keep all the pregnant women. We need to make sure that only girls are left alive. Yeah, so what, what, is, uh, you know, what does Nimrod come up with together with those around him? Uh, this idea that, uh, you know, let's put all the newborn boys to death. You know, the ego sees it as, well, let's just look into what, what's a son or a boy. In Hebrew, the word for that is ben. We're always talking about it being understanding. That also comes from the Hebrew word for understanding, which is mevin or avana. So you can see how also in the, in the text, the, the Kabbalists used such words which, which connect to one another which is all part of the, the, the framework of that language of branches. So when they're talking about this newborn son coming soon, you know, this new boy that's going to be born, it's, uh, as we talked about it, it's a next degree of understanding that there's this flaw in the you know, egoistic uh, way the world is running and the egoistic desires that are ruling over us, these desires to just go at wealth uh, honor and power at all at all expense of others, just to try to make myself feel better. So, so if the that next state, if this newborn boy that's coming is going to be this uh, resistance to that previous level of power, so Nimrod's saying, let's put all the newborn boys to death. Let's only have girls. So, what does this mean? Girls and daughters, as opposed to boys, it's uh, representative of the desire to receive, which is the base matter of our existence. You know, we're born with this desire to receive pleasure for ourselves alone, and girls pose no threat to the egoistic stance in the world, the egoistic rule. Uh, girls, rather, in this position, the, the, you know, having only this same kind of desire to receive popping up again and again, will only serve to strengthen that egoistic power, to strengthen King Nimrod's position in the world, because it just has more and more of these desires that, that can uh, take these values of egoism and accept them as something that is good, as something that, that is worthwhile, and will accept that rule of King Nimrod over them. So killing the sons means pleasure, receiving the pleasure of the next degree in a way that boosts self-gain. Yeah, willingness to give in order to receive. So you know, the sons represent a different desire, that desire that gives this understanding. It's a, you could say it's a spiritual desire at that point, or the seeds of a spiritual desire, that there's a certain understanding of an error, of a mistake, of, 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 the, of the egoistic way of life being ultimately no good because it leads to a life of misery. So if we kill that off, so then we're able to boost our self-gain in the world. We're able to boost our egoistic stance. And we eliminate the threat of this new desire coming. Rather, that, that desire enters that same 
egoistic desire to receive. What, what does it mean killing in spirituality? Killing is, if we're thinking about a desire and how it fulfills itself, just think of any desire to receive pleasure you might have in your life. You know, even just take food before we get into big desires at the social level. You know, food, you, you want to eat something, you have that desire to eat, the desire to, for food. You eat and that desire for food that you had, that hunger becomes eliminated. That's what's called killing here, that the, that the desire we had gets killed off. It, 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 uh, it, it, it enters that desire to receive for itself and that that you could say this formula of a pleasure entering a desire to receive only for personal benefit ends up killing that desire so killing the sons means that it takes these new desires of understanding and awareness and, and kind of swallows them up it's this giving in order to receive so it's uh it's it, that's what it's talking about there we're going to the next excerpt here Uh, Terach, one of Nimrod's most esteemed nobles, asked jokingly, You don't plan to put my own wife into one of these buildings, do you? She's pregnant as we speak. We weren't talking about your household, Terach, the king assured him, for you are the most trusted of all my ministers. Yeah, so what's going on here? Terach, who we know is Abraham's father, uh, it represents this Ego, the, the ego's ideologist, as you see here, though, it represents the method of fulfilling the desire to receive. And what does it mean that Terach is one of Nimrod's most esteemed nobles? So that's what it's talking about here, that Nimrod's always consulting with Terach about you know, how best to fulfill that desire to receive. And Terach here is, you could say, uh, you know, since he's always caring about himself and, and his his offspring and his egoistic stance in the world you can see how here the ego tricks itself uh by by wanting as if what's best for everything surrounding and and, and supporting the ego but in the end it leads to it, it shows how you can't stop this process of happening process happening which leads ultimately to this recognition of the ego being the evil that new understanding which ultimately leads to the birth of the spiritual desire it's like this process that you just can't stop no matter what even though the ego itself wants to stop the process and, and tries at, at, at every cost to do it one morning nimrod's astrologers request an audience with him once again the threat has not been neutralized o king we have observed above terach's house a star dashing about the firmament in all directions it devoured four stars to the east to the north, to the west, and to the south. This clearly points to Terach's new son, who will conquer your kingdom. Yeah, so the astrologers are coming to him and saying, look, all the signs are pointing to Terach's son being that, you know, that, that, that one that's going to be a, a naughty one in your kingdom and is going to want to overthrow your rule. That's what uh, astrologers are telling Nimrod. What are some of the spiritual definitions here? A star dashing about the firmament, what does that mean? It means that Terach's son, which becomes Abraham, uh, stands for bestowal. Bestowal is the spiritual quality. If we're talking about egoism being a desire to receive pleasure for personal benefit, so the spiritual quality of bestowal is the opposite of that. Uh, it's a desire to purely to give, to bestow, uh, to love, to care, all that quality that's aimed in the direction from the person outwardly for the benefit of others for the good of others that's considered a spiritual quality and that's what uh, the firmament stands for firmament we know in other places in the torah that that firmament represents the quality of bina if you see this little uh this little diagram here that's what's often sh representing this direction of bestowal that is bina that uh, there's this upward arrow coming out from ourselves or you could say from the desire usually this is representing the desire this vessel form here and then the arrow is the direction that the pleasure is aimed from the desire so the quality of bina is always presented in in such a context which literally means the quality of bestowal pure bestowal uh, just unidirectionally aimed from the person outwardly 
Uh, that's the quality of Bina, and it's uh, one of the Sfirot in spirituality. We get into more detail about that quality in other areas uh, that we teach. But that's what uh, Terech's son stands for. Ultimately, Abraham does represent that quality of Bina as a spiritual quality. We'll, we'll get into that soon as well. So that's what the astrologers see, that there's a star dashing about the firmament. It means that the this sun, uh, all the signs are pointing to the sun being uh, of this quality of bestowal. It devoured four stars to the east, to the north, to the west, and to the south. What does this part mean? It means that Abraham's birth, now originally it comes out as Abraham, but we'll just say Abraham in terms of what he eventually uh, becomes, the, his final name there that he becomes, that he grows into. So Abraham's birth is the birth of a new desire that renders our previous desires' fulfillments empty. Yeah, so that's what That's what uh, the ego fears, that uh, when we're talking about the birth of a spiritual desire in us, we're talking about a process here that we have all these corporeal desires first for food, sex, family, which are our necessity desires. And then our desires further develop for money. And if it gets more excessive, it's a desire for wealth, to be you know, wealthier and wealthier, to be rich. Uh, you know, respect where, you know, we can have simple respect in society or we can have a real desire for honor, you know, fame, you know, being uh, th that all these eyes, all these people will, will look at me as being something great and power. You know, on one hand, a person can feel in control, you know, just of, a, of themselves in their workplace, etc., etc. There's also people with huge desires for power that will stop at nothing but to be president and then uh, for them uh, you know for their country to over overpower other countries etc etc or in this case a king so here king nimrod represents the full expression of those desires and abraham's birth is the birth of this new desire the spiritual desire which comes and says all this egoistic direction for trying to fulfill yourself, this trying to take things that are outside of you and trying to put them into yourself, uh, that direction is empty, it leads to emptiness. So it's not just here some, you know, we can see it in our lives today, what, what, what's the representation of a person now who has a spiritual desire in the world today? It means that we can be going about our lives on a day to day basis, uh, out of necessity, you know, we need to work, we need to make money. Uh, and we need to go about our lives doing a whole bunch of things, but we're feeling ourselves empty the whole time. And that emptiness comes from this new spiritual desire emerging, and we still haven't clarified what it is yet. Uh, the ego doesn't like that, that new desire, because all of a sudden things that gave it pleasure in the past don't so much right now. So this new spiritual desire emerges. How is that expressed? It's expressed with all kinds of existential questions it asks what is the meaning of life why are we here what is reality it really puts a question why an existential why behind everything that we do in our lives and everything we try to fulfill ourselves with and and all of a sudden we we don't feel the same kind of pleasure just from the things we were doing beforehand we could be going about our lives working and, and that work's not so fulfilling. We see just in general in humanity today how much people you know, flip around their, their jobs from one to the next you know, much more often than they used to in the past. And it's because the, the pleasures we're receiving today are also accompanied by this newly emerging spiritual desire, this newly emerging, as it says, understanding, this new awareness, this birth of this new degree that's actually expanding among all of our desires and expanding among society at large, humanity at large. Different people feel it differently, but ultimately there's this new, you could say, extra space upon our egoistic desires, upon our corporeal desires. And this extra space is telling us, you know, we're not feeling the fulfillment we used to feel in these previous desires. So we, we don't feel this new desire as something clear that appears that, that, okay, we're going, okay, now I'm asking, you know, with the exact words, what is the meaning of my life? And I'm going and, you know, writing that in, you know, Google and looking for the answers and going through, you know, all the books according to that. It doesn't really appear in, in that very direct linear way. Rather, it appears in a way where 
it, we start just feeling dissatisfaction with all our previous levels of desires. And that's what it means that this uh, desire devours the four stars you know, to the east, to the north, to the west, and to the south. So that there's this uh, birth of a new desire and all of the previous stars and all of the previous directions and ways we fulfilled ourselves, it's rendering them to be empty. It's finding this that, that everything that we have built in order to fulfill ourselves in this materialistic, competitive way we live our lives ultimately brings us no pleasure in the end, no lasting, real, true pleasure. Moving on. Terach ordered him to be hidden. So Terach ordered Abraham after he was born to be hidden in a cave. The young Abraham grew up in a cave far away from the boisterous world of people. Possessing an extraordinary mind, he came to know the Creator when he was only three years of age. Okay, so what's going on here? So a cave is a secluded environment suitable for spiritual development. We have other stories such as the Noah's Ark, where we go into much more depth about this secluded environment for spiritual development that when there's a certain crisis on the outside, when there's all kinds of, as it says, the boisterous world of people and, and all this commotion taking place. So we put ourselves into a, you could say, a very controlled environment where in that controlled environment, we have all the means necessary to develop spiritually. So that's what the cave represents in this state, that this spiritual desire emerges in us. And in order to develop that spiritual desire, in order to shift that spiritual desire from simply being a seed that emerges among all the other really big egoistic desires, in the wisdom of Kabbalah, that seed of this new desire, it's called the point in the heart meaning that the heart is the totality of our egoistic desires. It's the ego. That's what heart represents. And point in the heart means a small point within that ego, which makes us you know, uncomfortable with all that ego. It, it brings all those why questions, the existential questions. It, it questions the meaning and purpose behind every other thing that we try to uh, acquire in our lives. And it actually makes us feel that you know, moving after wealth, you know, all this energy that we put into going after wealth, honor, and power, that it's meaningless at the end of the day, it's pointless, that the, there's this emptiness to all of that. So that's what happens when this uh, small new spiritual desire emerges, this new level of awareness, our next degree of awareness, understanding, what brings about the recognition of evil in all this egoistic pursuit that we undergo. Yeah, so in order to develop that, in order to move that new spiritual desire and to start directing it in a direction of spiritual growth. So we need to put it in as here what it's called a cave. Obviously, we're not talking about a physical cave here. We're talking about giving that desire the environmental means to grow it. In the wisdom of Kabbalah, those means are three means and they're defined simply as uh, the right teacher, the right group, and the right books. The teacher, uh, it's discussed as being a Kabbalist, one who has attainment, one who is able to guide the, you could say, the student, the one who has the spiritual desire on how to use all these means in the environment, meaning on how to use uh, the teacher and also the group and the books in a way that is all optimized at moving forward to attain the higher spiritual states. And the Kabbalist himself in that position, a Kabbalist meaning Kabbalist from the word Kabbalah, meaning reception, one who has received, one who has attained that higher level of spiritual development. So their whole purpose is to completely care for the growth and development, for nurturing that spiritual desire that emerges in people in order to bring it to a point where it can can grow up and become a fully fledged spiritual desire. We'll talk about a little bit what that means soon. So that's the teacher within the spiritual environment. And then there's the uh, there's the group, which is a supportive environment of like minded people, which ultimately means others who also feel that spiritual desire, others who have a point in the heart, and others who share that wish to achieve spirituality who, has, who share a same goal and who support each other in that journey. 
because if we're out, for example, as it says in the excerpt, if we're out in that boisterous world of all kinds of people who are chasing after egoistic desires, so we we can't really exercise spirituality there in a very practical manner as we can with a group. Why? Because if we're talking about spirituality being an opposite quality of bestowal and love that we develop through our connections to one another, so at least in the first stages, we very much need that connection to be a mutual one where where we are with others who have that spiritual desire, that point in the heart, and we're able to work to develop connections between specifically those points in the heart through each one aiming in that outward direction, aiming in a direction of bestowal, just like we saw in that diagram earlier of the quality of Bina, that each one's aimed with that intention to bestow and where each one's trying to nurture and nourish each one's spiritual desire and fill that, that space between them with this quality of bestowal that it's done in this group-like setting. And it allows this desire to uh, develop through that mutual influence, each one on their desires. And since they have that instruction from the teacher and also the third means, as I mentioned, which is the books, uh, again, not just any books, but books written by Kabbalists, which have ultimately the purpose to just develop that spiritual desire in the people and to develop it by not just by developing it in individuals, but by developing it. How do we ultimately develop the spiritual desire as opposed to our egoistic desires? Our egoistic desires are self-aimed. Each and every one of our egoistic desires just wants to receive pleasure for itself alone. It's acting in a direction of ultimately separating from others to fulfill itself you know, to exploit, to use what's outside of me to make myself feel good. That's the egoistic direction of fulfilling a desire. The new method that this new desire called Abraham or the birth of the spiritual desire represents, it's an opposite means of fulfilling the desire that we, that we develop a new, what's called a new vessel for feeling pleasure. You could say a new desire that we develop where we actually feel pleasure. In our egoistic desire, in our inborn desires that we were born with and raised in, we have no place where we can feel pleasure by bestowing upon others. We can only feel pleasure in receiving pleasure from others. So if we bestow to others, if we give to others, if we try to care for them, etc., we can only feel that pleasure ultimately that I give in order to receive. That's what's called, that's, that's the heights of altruism in our corporeal egoistic world that we can give to others on condition that it gives us some kind of pleasure to, uh, as a result of that giving. So it, it's not a genuine 100% altruism. Genuine 100% altruism can't be achieved within our egoistic framework that we are, you know, within the human nature that we're born and raised in. Rather, we need to develop a new vessel, a new desire. We need to develop that spiritual desire, which comes from that point within each and every one of us, connecting to those points in others. And the method of doing so and the environmental means for doing so, which the wisdom of Kabbalah guides us to. So that's what ultimately uh, leads to this fulfillment of that spiritual desire to, to be able to feel pleasure in this new vessel that we build and that we discover uh, by working within these environmental means which is represented here as the cave uh, we've discussed two of those at the moment so we've discussed the teacher and the group so the group is that setting that where we all support each other and we try to uh, support the mutual bestowal and love among all those uh, who have that point in the heart that it's this mutual support to create a, a space between these points in the hearts that's a connected space. And the books, as we said, are written by Kabbalists, meaning written by uh, great Kabbalists, ones who have attained the, the heights of spirituality, uh, literally people who have attained you know, very high spiritual degrees and who write to us from those degrees with the intent of us not just learning and understanding what they're writing, but understanding in the wisdom of Kabbalah is synonymous with the word attainment, meaning they write to us in order for us ultimately to attract the forces from those spiritual levels. These forces in the wisdom of Kabbalah are called or makif or surrounding light that we attract those forces and those forces actually work to nourish our 
point in the heart, similar to like watering a seed in the garden, and that seed eventually becomes a plant and, and it, it turns into you know, a full tree, etc., etc. So they wish to supply us with the means to attract the surrounding light, attract these forces from the higher spiritual levels, which works on developing our spiritual desire, which works on developing it in, within us and between us as we work in a group. And those three means, the teacher, the group, and the books, they act as this, similarly to what's discussed here in the story about Abraham, that Abraham for the first three years of his life was in this cave, in this controlled environment where he could develop spiritually. It discusses the, the, the means and the conditions that we need for our spiritual desire to develop from simply being this small point of a desire that makes all of our egoistic desires feel like there's this meaningless and this pointlessness around them to one which can grow and blossom into what's called a fully-fledged spiritual desire, which we'll talk about what that means a bit more soon. Also, what is this age of three that Abraham reaches uh, at the end of his time in the cave? It's three spiritual phases, the third of which is Bina, the quality of bestowal. So in the wisdom of Kabbalah, we learn about what's called the four phases of direct light. Uh, we have courses about that at Kabu, if you wish to, to look into it. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that at the end, but uh, we get into the, the whole wisdom of Kabbalah and the study of Kabbalah begins from studying the concatenation down in the four phases of direct light. It's the template or you could say the blueprint of creation. Actually, one of our courses at Kabbalah is called the blueprint of creation where you can learn about that. So the age of three simply means three phases down in that concatenation that we undergo from the root phase through to the first phase. Uh, the root phase is Keter, the first phase is called Chokhmah, and then we reach that, that third stage after all these, which is called Bina. So we, we, we reach these, uh, you know, from Keter, uh, Chokhmah, and down to Bina, the third phase down, and so that's where we uh, discover that quality of Bina, and that's what Abraham represents ultimately. He represents that quality of Bina, which is the pure quality of bestowal, that that pure aim just to bestow and just to love in that in that specific direction moving on in the story i've not seen the creator abraham said but i know that only a mighty and merciful god could create this wonderful world around me and that only his supernal intellect could sustain the existence of this world it is he whom i will worship okay so what can we take from this one? Firstly, he's talking about the Creator here. Uh, the Creator, also in the Wisdom of Kabbalah, it's talking about a force of bestowal. Yeah, so not to think about some uh, you know, bearded man in the sky as might, might be portrayed in all kinds of ways. Rather think of a force or a quality uh, of just that altruistic direction of only bestowing, of only giving, of only wishing to develop a created being, a creation, and fill that creation with the most ultimate pleasure, enjoyment, fulfillment that it can possibly experience. That is the force of the, force of the creator, uh, this force of bestowal. So when it says that, uh, what does it mean here that Abraham says, I have not seen the creator, but I know that a mighty and merciful God. He's not talking here that, about believing in, in a God or believing in the creator. He's actually saying knowing, even though he's not saying seeing him. So what does this all come to, to tell us? So knowing the Creator, that He is that level of Bina, knowing the Creator, you know, again, knowing, coming from this word for understanding, Bina as well, it, it's uh, from this word uh, uh, which means observation, it comes from uh, being able to bestow in order to bestow. It's, so it's not the full uh, extent of spiritual progress we can attain, but it's a, a certain... Uh, point in our spiritual development where if we develop that seed that point in the heart to a uh, to a certain level it says here the three years it's not talking about three corporeal years of course it's talking about three phases of development that that we undergo so uh, you could say in our halfway point of development in spirituality you know moving into the spiritual worlds being able to enter uh, that spiritual process. So we enter a stage called what's called bestowing in order to bestow. That's the level of Bina. That's called knowing the Creator. Seeing the Creator is a higher level. It's the full level of bestowal we can reach. It's called the level of Chokhmah. It's called receiving in order to bestow. 
that's when we can use the desires outside of us in order to fulfill them. So that's a that's a higher level. So Abraham's basically stating here at the, after those three years development, what certain stage of spiritual development that that represents uh, a stage of knowing the creator, or a stage of reaching the level of Bina of bestowing in order to bestow and not yet of seeing the creator, which is reaching the level of Chokhmah, a higher spiritual level of receiving in order to bestow. So let's just go over a little bit now that we're entering into the last few minutes of this lesson. We'll just summarize uh, these spiritual processes, as we said, that we looked into today. So if we're looking at it from the perspective of development of desires, either within the individual, you know, we all have these desires that we, that, de that we develop through in our lives. Also, you can look at them, look at it from the perspective of society at large, humanity at large. So we develop through these desires for food, sex, family, you know, our smaller desires, our more individual level of desires that all people have those desires for food, sex, family. And we develop for through desires for money. And if we're talking about King Nimrod, so it's the most excessive social desires that we can possibly have, you know, full desires for wealth, honor, fame, power, control, knowledge, that all represents King Nimrod in the story. It's that precondition to the on to that next level of development that comes by, which is the development of a new level of desire, that spiritual desire. So that's the first, you could say, part of this process that's being discussed when we're talking about the birth of Abraham and, and his infancy. So then what happens in the in this process? King Nimrod fears the next degree of development, that there's this feeling of some kind of new development that's about to take place, some kind of foreseeing of it, some kind of impression of it. And the ego fears that it, it doesn't doesn't want that it wants to prevent that you know trying to kill the sons trying to etc uh, etc et you know doing whatever it can in order to hold its own egoistic stance in the world so that's that's what happens next and then there's the birth of abraham which is the birth of the spiritual desire meaning that we start feeling what's called the point in the heart uh, very specific which is the desire for spirituality very specifically uh, both uh, the great Kabbalist Bala Sulam, Kabbalist Yehuda Ashlag, uh, you could say is the most renowned and greatest Kabbalist of the 20th century. And one of the the principal source that we study the wisdom of Kabbalah from here at Kabiut, B'nai Baruch. So he foresaw that this point in the heart, this desire for spirituality would emerge en masse in humanity starting from the end of the 20th century and go on into the 21st century where we are now. That's one of the ways it's relevant for all of humanity right now, meaning that people would start really questioning the meaning and purpose of their lives and start feeling this increased dissatisfaction in all the ways we fulfill ourselves egoistically uh, from the end of the 20th century all the way through to now. And there's lots of examples we can get into that with, which weren't for now, but we're just discussing the process here. So, so Abraham's birth is the birth of that spiritual desire. Then Abraham was in the cave for three years, meaning that he, this spiritual desire that comes up in order to develop that spiritual desire and not just for it to be among the other desires, disturbing us, making us feel unfulfilled. If we want to take that spiritual desire and grow it, to, to, to move it forward in a positive direction. So we need to put it into what's called this cave, meaning grow it in a spiritually conducive environment. And that's by putting it into an environment of what's called the teacher, the group and the books that we discussed Yeah. So that's what sets off this point in the heart from being just one seed to being a seed, you could say infertile soil that allows it to, to grow out of this fertile soil like this and, and become a, to become a real big proper spiritual desire, what's called a spiritual vessel uh, in the wisdom of Kabbalah. And then it reaches its final state or it reaches that state at the age of three, at least an intermediary state that we reach at least now in this story, when we're talking about the birth and infancy of Abraham, uh, we'll go and discuss later stages of Abraham's life in, in other, uh, other episodes of this. So it comes to what's called know the creator and not see the creator. Know that knowing the creator means that it develops an intention to bestow above the desire to receive. So this is a certain level. Uh, that it means that Abraham reached at three years of age, where he says that, you know, I don't yet see the creator, but I know the creator, meaning I, I meaning that 
through that work in the spiritual environment and you know, attracting those forces, attracting the surrounding light that works on growing our spiritual desire, that works on growing the point in the heart and also growing its connection to other points in the heart, which is part of that uh, group-like environment that we work with, etc. So we come to a stage of attaining spirituality, the first level of spirituality, which is developing that intention to bestow above the desire to receive where we attain that state of bestowal in order to bestow, as it's called, the quality of Bina, the level of Bina, uh, and a very important state uh, in our spiritual progress. So that's what's being discussed here in this whole Midrash story of Abraham and his birth and his infancy. Obviously, there's several other things that Abraham went through in life and what's discussed about it, and it's all to, can be explained in this way of talking about spiritual processes, internal processes that take place within us at every moment and that we can gain full awareness of through the study of Kabbalah. And as I've mentioned time and again, you can learn all about that at Kabu. So if you're interested in learning about the wisdom of Kabbalah and even finding all these things that we discussed as the means for spiritual progress, all that is at Kabu. You literally join an environment there, uh, which is full of introductory courses. Uh, you can take, for example, the introductory course Kabbalah Revealed, which gives uh, all the basic concepts and fundamental principles of Kabbalah. Means where you can see all these stories of the Torah, and many other aspects of, of our lives discussed in this way that is all there to develop us spiritually. So we also have a Q&A session right after uh, this Kabbalah Explained Simply live session on YouTube and Facebook that we co takes place each week. We have a Q&A session each and every week uh, for everyone who's members of Kabu. So if you join, you can also ask questions about this session uh, at Kabu. And yeah, that, that's about it. So uh, keep, in, keep an eye out for all future episodes of Ab Abraham the Patriarch Explained. We'll, we'll get into some other aspects of his life. And in general, stay tuned on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page. Join Kabu if you haven't. There's a free 14-day trial. It's a great environment. You have access to all kinds of courses there uh, on all kinds of uh, different things. If you're interested more in other aspects of Kabbalah, such as the Zohar, or if you want to take an introductory course to, uh, as we mentioned, those four phases, you know, going from Keter, Chochmah, Bina, uh, Ziranpin, and Malchut, and learning about all this, Ten Sfirot, etc. So there's a course there, the Blueprint of Creation, and several others. I'm just touching on a few, but that's all at Kabu. So we very much look forward to seeing you there. We just had a great retreat right now as well at Kabu, where Kabu uh, students from all around the world are gathered both physically in in the Netherlands and also gathered uh, virtually from, from all kinds of places. It was very intensive. It, it was like going into that cave of Abraham's, but instead of three years, it was done in three days. And uh, I'm sure you know everyone there can speak of great attainments that they all had. So Anyway, look forward to seeing you at Kabu. Look forward to seeing you soon at the Q&A session we're about to hold where we can you can ask questions about this and get them answered. And I've been Ma I'm Marcus. This has been Kabbalah Explained Simply. Have a great rest of the day, week, wherever you are. See you later.